0: Uh, My sermon title for you this morning is Sherlock Holmes and the Three Angels Message. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we once again pray and plead for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that your presence would be in this room, in this amphitheater, that you would even work through. The technology that is used to deliver this message to people that are not here right now. We pray that your words and your word would
1: be spoken and that we would know that it was your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Sherlock Holmes and the Three Angels message. How many of you are at least vaguely familiar with who Sherlock Holmes is? Ah, heathens. Um, Sherlock Holmes is a fictional detective um, who airs from the great country of the United Kingdom, um, one of the greatest, actually. And um, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes is renowned for his ability to see things where no one else can see things. He is the man that would have been called upon to if there was a case that just simply could not be solved, you bring in Sherlock, and with all of his vast investigative abilities, he will be the one to point out the one little clue that has been missing and and make the whole case as clear as can be. What on earth does he have to do with the three angels' message you might ask? And that is the question. That is the question. And the reason why it's the question is because I've often felt when sitting through presentations on the three angels message, I've often felt as if I've been asked to be a detective. I've often felt as if, as if there was something in here that was vastly important that was often glossed over, often missed, um, and, and it looks almost like a different message. <clears throat> the Bible says... In the 14th chapter of Revelation, um, and I very may well use the whiteboard here, which is not usually my custom when preaching, um, but I hope that those of you at the back have spectacular vision um, to be able to see. But in Revelation chapter 14, um, verse 6 tells us, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. This is what we're told is is basically the introduction to the three angels message that John the revelator sees. He beholds an angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now, what is a, a synonym for angel when we're talking about the Bible? All right, a messenger. So there is a messenger that is flying in the midst of heaven. In other words, there is a messenger that is is moving across the earth. There is a messenger that has something for whom? The Bible says to every nation, to every kindred, to every tongue, and to every people. What's a synonym for nation? A country. So for every country, what is kindred? Tribe or race? So we can say for every tribe or race, for every tongue, what is that? every, every language, and for every people, people. When um, actually, in the original language, the people, as it is mentioned, it, it is a general people. It is not meant to just be John's people. Are you with me? It is not just our people. The message is for people. It is for every person, for every country for every race, for every tribe, for everyone. Which kind of tells us that it must be important, right? If everyone needs to hear it, it must be important. So let me ask,
1: what is the three angels message? What is it? If I said, what are the three angels messages? You'd maybe say, well,
0: the first angels message is is, you know, fear God and give glory to him, right? Second angel's message is Babylon is fallen, is fallen, come out of her, my people. And the third angel's message in summary is there is a mark of the beast and you don't want it. But if I said, what is the three angels message? There's only one definition. The three angels message is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? The three angels' message is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. The question is how? How is it the everlasting gospel? What is the everlasting gospel? Someone tell me. What does everlasting mean? I cannot get my spelling wrong today, surely. Everlasting. What is everlasting? It never ends, right? But what else? It is eternal. What does eternal mean? Eternal means just that it has no end or what? It also has no real beginning. It is everlasting. Okay, it is forever. What about the gospel? What's the gospel in definition? What is it? The good news. You know, something that I feel as a church we're failing at generally, and it pains me to say this because I sit down every summer and I interview 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds to come to our school, Weimar Academy. And I ask them this question every single time. What's the gospel? You know, you ask them all sorts of questions, but really, what's the gospel? Can you tell me what the gospel is? A lot of them will say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and
1: John. So no, 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 those are the gospels. What is the gospel? You got it. But it shocks me how often the answer never comes. How often the answer is,
0: um, you know, that, that, um, that God sent his son. Okay, that's like point three of the gospel. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died sinless for our sins and achieved victory over sin through the resurrection. And now he ministers for us. But essentially, if we to sum it all up, the good news is that Jesus died for our sins. Amen? Jesus died for our sins. This is the everlasting truth. And when it comes to the three angels message, that is it. That's meant to be the three angels message. Amen. That Jesus died for our sins. It really is. I don't know how many times you've sat through um, seminars after seminars after seminars And we do these these wonderful evangelistic crusades um, that are at least partially successful. And we sit people down and systematically go through all of these different messages. And the, the idea behind them is that these people would come to know and love Jesus Christ, amen? This is the idea, that they'd come to know and love Jesus Christ, give their life to him there and then at the end or shortly thereafter and live a life dedicated to his service. And, and to achieve that, we take them through maybe 28 sermons. And somewhere along those sermons, we'll touch on the three angels' messages. And the three angels' messages are often presented as, number one, fear God, give glory to him. What does that mean? Doesn't matter. What does matter is that the Sabbath is alluded to. Okay? Um, second angels' message. Uh, Babylon is fallen, has fallen, come out of her. What does that mean? Um, don't be Catholic. And third angel's message, there is a mark of the beast coming and, and, and you don't want to receive it. Okay, what's, what's the mark of the beast? Um, again, Sabbath related. And then at the end of these sermons, we'll slowly move towards Unveiling the the Catholic Church as the papal system, the Pope as the head of that, as you know, the little horn with the mouth and speaking like a dragon, etc., etc.,
1: etc. And then, with our grand finale of truth, we'll say, That's why you should be a Seventh day Adventist. That's why you should be a Seventh day Adventist. Because we have all of these truths, and we're the only church that has
0: it. And your church doesn't. And so come out of her and come
1: into us. It's quite surprising when they do. Um, And oftentimes they come into us
0: and hard to distinguish the difference outside of the day of worship. I think the reason for that, because I've seen this so many times, seen so many people come into the church and they're excited because they've come in from these meetings and then they leave shortly thereafter. Because the emphasis that was given to them was simply about where to be. Are you with me? Not who to be, but where to be. Geographical messages, changing one's location, altering the day that you go to church, and that's it. And as I sit through these messages, I, I often have to ask myself, where is the gospel though? Where's the gospel? Surely, we have
1: more to offer than being right. Surely we have more to give to people that are struggling
0: in sin, desperate for something different than to say Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. That can't be the extent of the light that we were given. So I want to unpack this. I want to look at how the first angel's message is the everlasting gospel. I want to see how the second angel's message is the everlasting gospel. How the third angel's message is the everlasting gospel. In the hope that when when Ellen White says that this is the most important message that anyone on earth has ever been given, that we'll be confident in knowing what that is. Because I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough to hold these seminars. I don't think it's enough to say, hey, listen, um, it's, it's not about Sunday. It's about Sabbath. And there's a mark coming and you're not going to be able to buy and itself. None of that matters. Are you with me? None of that actually matters. Because if we bring the people in without the gospel, what do you think is going
1: to keep them from leaving when the time matters? Information? Bible verses that maybe
0: they've never read before because they're not allowed to read Revelation in their church. Information has never kept anyone. Jesus certainly did not think that the gospel and his ministry was simply about the imparting of information. He did not stand on the hilltops and just preach and preach and preach and preach. What he did was he demonstrated through his life and exemplified through his death and resurrection what the gospel was. And then at the end of all of that, he says, okay, now you do it. Now you take this everlasting gospel and go and teach it to all nations and then baptize them because of that in my name. And lo, I'll be with you even unto the ends of the earth. And so if that's what Jesus has asked us to do unto the ends of the earth, when we get right to the end of the earth and we're told that there is a three angels message to preach, I hope it's crossed your mind that they're the same thing. That the commission that Jesus gives the disciples, we still have today. That commission still stands for us and it comes under the banner of the three angels messages. And so what does the first one say? Saying with what kind of a voice? Loud. Now, that's not just volume. That's a great, a mighty, a powerful voice. What's it saying?
1: What's it saying? Fear God. And what else? Give glory to him. Fear God. What does this mean? Fear
0: God. We say respect. It doesn't mean to cower, right? To just, oh God, oh. We should be humble before him, but it doesn't mean to be afraid in the same way that you and I might use the term today, to fear God. Now, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to look for in the three angels' messages? We're trying to look for the everlasting gospel because it might not be immediately apparent. Fear God. Now, we often, um, whenever someone says, well, what does it mean to fear God? We go right to the book of Proverbs and we say, the fear of the Lord is the what? Is the beginning of wisdom.
1: Does that help? Not really. Fear God. Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom.
0: Okay, so I need to be smart. I need to be intelligent. Um, The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Is that helpful? Not when I'm not converted. Because the carnal man cannot depart from evil. Are you with me? Romans chapter eight. That his heart is is in enmity towards God. He is against God. He cannot keep the law and therefore cannot depart evil because he hasn't let Jesus into his life. Are you still with me? So to fear God, I always think about what what does that mean? Just to respect him. The the last message that God is giving to his people is respect me. Or, or, Or when you're in church, be quiet. Right, that's, that's our reverence. When you're in church, be quiet. Your mind can be wandering
1: all over everything. But if you're quiet, you're reverent. Mercy. To fear God.
0: I don't know if you've ever seen this verse in conjunction with this, but Psalms 130 and verse 4. We can start in verse 3. If you have your Bibles, we're in Psalms 130.
1: We're looking for the everlasting gospel in the three angels' messages. Psalms 130. In fact, I'll start from verse
0: 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. You know that he's about to say something important. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Are you with me? The psalmist is saying, Lord, if you were to say, okay, okay, Dean, here's your record. Now, let's be honest. It's a lot bigger than this. But Dean, here's your record. This is what you thought That was sinful today. This is what you said. This is what you did. This is what you thought. This is what you thought. This is what you thought, what you said and what you did. And it just kept going. I mean, that scroll can just keep going, right? The psalmist is saying, Lord, if you did this, if this was who you were, who could stand before you, right? Who has a record as such they can stand before God? And when God says, all right, let's see if you're going to the kingdom or not. Let's see if you're sinful or not, holy or not. And he pulls out, who can stand before God with their record? Who? Anyone here? The same question that Jesus asked, right? Ye without
1: sin, cast the first stone. None of us would be able to stand, the psalmist says. What does the next verse say? But, praise the Lord. You guys aren't as happy as you should be.
0: Because if this was you, you'd be praising the Lord that we understand what hell actually is. Otherwise, we would be burning forever, right? Praise the Lord that hell is burnt up for our sins and and no longer. If this was the case. But the psalmist says, but there is forgiveness with you that what? That you may be, that you may be feared. So we're saying fear God when we're telling the, the whole world, fear God. What we're telling is not just be reverent, not just be quiet, not just have respect, all of those things. Fair enough. But in actual fact, when we're looking at the everlasting gospel, we fear God because without God, no one can stand. And if he wasn't as forgiving and as merciful as he was, then we'd be going nowhere fast. We fear God because there is forgiveness in him and only in him.
1: And boy, would we be suffering if there wasn't. I don't know how many of you have lived outside of this truth.
0: I don't know how many of you grew up outside the faith, thinking that every bad thing that you did defined and made who you were. The vast majority of the world think that. And God comes and says, but there's a message that you can give to them. There is the everlasting gospel.
1: They can know that they can be forgiven. And let me tell you, when you know who you are without God,
0: and then you come to him, you find him, he finds you, however you want to phrase it, and he forgives you of your sins, you will fear him. You will. There is no two ways about it. When you have truly been forgiven for all the mess that you have made your life, all the times that you turned away from Christ and crucified him on the cross again, when you receive forgiveness and you know that Jesus pardoned your sin, your heart is clean, you will fear him.
1: So fear God. Know that God can forgive you and only God and give glory to him. What does this mean? Just, we don't do that here, right? What does it mean to give glory? In Exodus chapter 33, I think it's verse 16 or 17. If you have your Bibles turned there, Exodus chapter 33, 29 minutes. Help us, Lord. Always this thought comes to my mind. What are they going to do? Turn off the mic.
0: But I'll be respectful. <clears throat> Exodus and the 33rd chapter and verse 18. Moses comes before God. In fact, let's look at verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, "I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. He's asking to see God's glory. Lord, show me verse 18. I beg you, show me your what? Your glory." Verse 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. God doesn't say no. He says yes. He says, okay, I'll show you my glory. Here's my glory. I will be gracious to those whom I will be gracious to, and I will show mercy unto those I will show mercy to. What, 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 is, what is this that we're talking about with God? What is he showing us? He's showing us his character. Are you with me? He's saying to Moses, if you want to see my glory, i.e. you want to see who I really am, what I really look like, let me show you this. I will show grace to those that ask for grace, and I will show mercy to those that ask for mercy. That's who I am. That's who the friend of God was told he is. We like to think that we can, we can look into this and say, oh, who is, who is God really? Who is God really? If God was going to show himself to anyone, it would have been the man alongside Abraham, who he called his friend. Let me show you who I am. This is who I am, Moses. I'm gracious and I am full of mercy. I abound in mercy. You know what that means to Moses? Oh, you guys aren't here today. Do you know what that means to Moses? Do you know who Moses was?
1: And God is able to say to Moses, let me, let me show you who I am. Let me show you my glory. I'm gracious, Moses, and I'm merciful. In fact, let me write this down in stone. When, it, when we're told to give glory... When God
0: showed his glory, he showed his character. And when we're told to fear God, when we're told to come before him, knowing that only he can forgive us of our sins, and because of that, then give glory, what God is saying is, I wanna see not so much your character, I wanna see mine. Are you with me? Sometimes we like to be seen, no? God says, with all due respect, I've seen you already. I've seen you. I know you. It's time that you would see me and know me. It's time that people would look at you and see me. It's time that people would know you and therefore
1: know me. Give glory. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible says in verse 6. For God,
0: whom? For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. Paul is is taking the message of creation and showing you what it really means now. That God who, who shone light out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? Of the glory of God. How so? In the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, to see God's glory, we were to look at Jesus. This is why Jesus was able to say to Philip, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen whom? You've seen the Father. And this is what the gospel is. The gospel is not just that Jesus died for our sins. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. But more so, because of that, you can be forgiven for your sins and your character. Who you are, the essence of who you are, can be changed so much so. So much so that in the same way, Jesus showed the face, the character, the personality of the father. So you and I can do the same. In fact, just before this in Second Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, verse 18. Told you he was going to try and outdo me. Verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass. The what? the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from
1: glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. That's glory. That's the first angel's
0: message. The first angel's message is not merely that there is an allusion to the Sabbath and therefore everyone get back and remember. Sure, remember. And that's going to be even more important when we get to the three angels' message. But it's the everlasting gospel. It's the fact that Jesus can change you. I don't know how much you I don't know how much that means to you. But I know if, if that change isn't happening daily, God help me. God help my family.
1: Because I know how much chaos I can cause without Him. Fear God and give glory to Him. For what? For the hour of His judgment is come. For the hour of his judgment is come. What is a judgment? What is a judgment? A decision. Good. A judgment is a decision. What comes after the great judgment? Hopefully. Hopefully, what comes after it for us? Glory, right? We're taken up and, and then we're going
0: we're gonna to be with the Lord for a thousand years before the earth is made new. After that decision, if we're found in Christ, hallelujah. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is coming. In other words, decision time is looming. Not only do we have this message to give the everlasting gospel, not only are we meant to exemplify the character of God, but we're on the watch. We don't have all day. We don't have loads of time to say, well, let me do this. And then let me do this and this and this and this. And And then maybe after that, I'll show God's glory. Because for those that are not watching, for those that are not keenly interested, he comes as a thief in the night. Whilst you're, you're, as they were in the book of Haggai, whilst you're building your own house instead of
1: working on the temple of the Lord, lo, he comes. Priorities. We don't have time. The hour of his judgment is coming. So therefore, take this message.
0: Show people that there is a loving creator Show people that there is forgiveness, even for their deepest and darkest sins in God. And then let him
1: transform your life so that people can see him through you. First angel's message. Second angel's message. And I saw another angel saying, no loud voice this time, that comes in Revelation 18.
0: Saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she had made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. How is that the gospel? How is that the gospel? Babylon is fallen. Okay. How is it the gospel, though? Where does Babylon come from? Its origin, its kingdom of origin is what? Babel. Where do we find Babel in the Bible? Come on, scholars. But yeah, Genesis. We know Genesis. Genesis where? Genesis ten and eleven, primarily eleven, but Nimrod is mentioned in ten as kind of the founder. Genesis chapter eleven. Look at what happens at Babel. We want to know how is this come out of her, my people? How is it the gospel? Well, in Babel, there was a people, and these people were of one mind. Are you with me? They're of one mind. Now, this is the message that God says has to go to the whole world. The whole world at the end of time. When? At the end of time, the kingdom of Babylon, and there is a system. Of Babylon now governing the world. But back then, there was a singular kingdom. And everyone in this kingdom had one mind. And everyone spoke one language. And what did God do? Did God just say, you know what? In fact, do you remember why they built the tower? Who can tell me? To escape the next flood. Are you with me, patriarchs and prophets? Tell them why. The tower was built to escape the next flood. They believed that they could build it tall enough. Then if there was a flood coming, I don't know if they had an elevator system or something, they would get to the very top and the flood wouldn't touch them. Now, what did God say about the flood at the end? That he would never send another one. And so this act of building the tower, of coming together in this form of unity was in direct rebellion to the word and the promises of God, amen? Now, God could have rightfully said, hey, listen, that's rebellion, gone, done, no more Babel. What did he do? Before before he
1: did the language thing,
0: he came down. Now, I don't know how relevant that sounds to you, but the fact that God knew what was going to happen, knew what they were deserving, but still came down, still surveyed, still walked around and said, okay. So if they say, hey, why did you do this? Well, now I've got reason. I've shown you, I'm here, I'm looking around, I'm taking it all in. Why does he have to do that? Let me take your mind a little bit further back. Genesis chapter two. God says to Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a what? Come on, ladies. This is why you're here. I will make a what? I will make a help me. Amen. God said, you know what? Man needs some help. I'm going to make women. Amen. Men. Amen. 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 I'm going to make women. Praise the Lord. Thank you,
1: Jesus. But before he made Eve, He brings the animals to Adam. And he says, okay, Adam, name them. Now, either God got his lines mixed up, or this almost makes no sense. You need help. Here's some animals, name them.
0: But what does it say in Genesis chapter two and verse 18? Look at this, this is powerful. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helping for him out of the ground. The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. God did it. Why? To see what he would call them. Now, when, when this big, golden, you know, furry-headed creature walks in on the, on the every living beast carousel in the Garden of Eden, when that one comes around, and Adam looks at it. Now, I know Adam wasn't speaking English, but let's just pretend he was. What does he call it? Lion. Well, done. Lion. Right? Lion. Now, what did, did God know that it was going to be called lion? Yes or no? Do you think when he said, ah, mm, lion, that God said, oh, lion. I didn't think of that. That makes sense. That this is, why, this is why I called you to do it. He knew that Adam was going to call it Lion but he still brings it to him, still gives him that responsibility. And even more importantly, he's still there. He's there, are you with me? Even though he knows exactly what's going to happen, he's present. Because just because God is outside of time doesn't mean that he doesn't enter into time to be with us. Are you with me? He wants to have those experiences with us. It's not enough just to say, Well, I know that Dean was going to have a son and I knew that his wife was going to buckle and let him call the son Wolfgang. I knew all of these things. No, he was there in the kitchen when we
1: were going back and forward about how this was going to work. He was there in the moment with us. And so it is with Babel. He comes down.
0: And his presence is made known. He is there. Because even though he knows what's going to happen, it needs, it needs to be recorded that God doesn't just do things, but that he cares. Because that's what it shows, amen? It shows that he cares, that he cared enough to come down. That is the gospel. That he cared enough to come down. Are you with me? He cared enough to come down. He could have looked and said, nah, They messed up from the beginning. I'm going to have to wait thousands
1: of years. I could literally just, and they're gone and start all over again. But you know what? I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down, but not am I just going to come
0: down. I'm going to come down like them. I'm going to come down like them. I'm going to come down how they look, how they feel. with with their flesh and their skin and their bones and their brain. And I'm going to wait 4,000 years until they're at their worst. And then I'm going to come down. And then with all of that, I'm going to show them that you can still give glory to the Father. That the Father can still be seen through you. The Father wasn't seen through Jesus just because it was Jesus. It wasn't a cheap code. It was because he exemplified the heart of the Father. He did the
1: work of the father. He spoke the words of the father. And so in him, they saw the father. So when we talk about come out of Babylon, come out. The gospel is in there too.
0: Because not only are we calling you out, but we're letting you know that Jesus was called out of heaven. That he came to earth. That he lived a perfect life. That he died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, because we can be forgiven, because we can show who God is. We need to come out of sin because that's what Babylon is. Yes, it is a system. And yes, it is the papal powers and all of that. But what's the point of leaving the Catholic church and coming to the Adventist church, but not allowing God to change your heart? You're still in Babylon. You've just moved over here, but you're still in Babylon. And when the third angel's message is given, when the mark of the beast is enforced, what well, you think they're going to skip the Adventist church? Oh, these guys don't want it. It's compulsion. It's compulsion. You must accept. And if your heart is Babylonian, when the Babylonian trumpet is sound sounded, you're just going to follow the sound. You're going to leave the Adventist church
1: just as easily as you walked in? They'll probably welcome you better over there? The third angel's message. The message for our time.
0: The third angel's message is simply that here we are at the end of time. And the most important thing,
1: the most important thing is worship. The most important thing. And by that, I don't
0: mean singing and praising and preaching. I mean living. Because that's what worship is, amen? Amen. Worship is far more than a song, far more than a sermon. Worship is a person. Worship is who we can be, what we can be. We can be worship. God can look at us and feel worshiped because of how we're living our life, because of how we're depending on him. And the greatest issue at the end of time is where that worship goes, i.e., Who we are living for. The creator, the one who made us, or the one who is constantly trying to steal our heart with his deceptions and his temptations.
1: The third angel's message speaks of this mark. If any man worship the beast
0: and his image and receive his mark in his forehead. If you go back to Revelation chapter 13, It kind of tells us a little bit more about this. And when we go to verse 17, sorry, verse 16, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the
1: number of his name. The gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ
0: is freedom to worship. Are you with me? Jesus died for our sins so that we could choose, so that we would actually have complete free will to choose who it is we're going to worship. Because without him, that free will is gone. Without the Savior, there is no life. Without his sacrifice, we don't have that choice.
1: Now listen, tell me if this sounds familiar. There is worship, there is a death decree.
0: There are a minority that are called to stand out amidst the multitude. And that if, they, if, if these people fall down in worship, having made a stand, if they were to then, if, if they don't fall down in worship, they're gonna be persecuted. They're gonna be thrown into the fires. They're gonna be killed. Does this sound familiar to you? From where? From the third chapter of Daniel, from the third chapter
1: of Daniel, which, mind you, is the only chapter whereby we don't find Daniel. In other words, the leader can't be seen.
0: And it brings opportunity for the people to show if they are
1: who they say they are or if they're just like that around their Are you going to stand for God or are you only standing for him because everyone else is
0: right now? Because it's so easy to see Jesus on days like these.
1: But what about when you can't see him? What about when your leader doesn't look like he's there? Are you still going to stand? That's the question. That's the question. It just hit me the other day I was I was going over this with my aunt. Um, With my boys at the school. I was like. The pressure. To accept the mark of the beast. This is how you know it's for this time. The pressure to accept the mark of the beast. Is pressurized. By materialism. Are you with me? The desire to have and consume.
0: Now if that doesn't tell you that this is a present message. In the world that we live in, that the way that this is going to be pushed across, the way to separate the, those that truly follow God and those that don't, is simply to say, you cannot have the things that you want if you do this.
1: And then the whole world will just say, I need those things though. Materialism. How many of you are grateful for the Sabbath? Amen. I praise the Lord for the Sabbath. And I I really do not want
0: to um, diminish the importance of the day of the Lord in this message. But I want to tell you that it's more than that. It is more than the Sabbath. And as Adventists, we are meant to be more than the Sabbath. It is one of the defining characteristics, but we must be more than a people that meet on a specific day. We must, because that runs dry. That wears very, very thin if that's all it comes with. We must be a people that exemplify the character of God. We must. We cannot just try and invite people to church and just say, well, you know, when they accept the Sabbath and are baptized, praise the Lord. No, no, no. Jesus did not say, keep my commandments and love me. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, bringing people to a place of outward obedience without actual love for God is pointless. It is a waste of our time. It is a vain work to simply get them to accept the Sabbath and to tithe. Give me a break. The whole thing. How much of this book is about the Sabbath and tithing? Some of it, and therefore they have their place. But the whole point of the Old Testament was to say, look, when this guy comes, that's who he is. Don't miss it. And the whole point of the New Testament was to say, this guy came, that's who he is. Don't miss
1: him. The point, the main point was that this is the everlasting gospel.
0: And the Sabbath is a part of that. And tithing is a part of that. And the day of atonement and the investigative judgment and every amazing truth that God has blessed us with is a part of that. But without the central picture, they fall apart. Sister White caught on to this very, very early. She said every single truth that we have clusters around the cross. If you remove that, it falls apart. And I'll tell you what, I consider myself to be a somewhat conservative
1: Seventh-day Adventist. Thank you for not saying amen, genuinely. Because when people say amen, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm tired. I'm genuinely tired of
0: the liberal aspect. And I hate that whole thing anyways, the liberal, but I'm tired of the cross being labeled as liberal. I'm tired that, that, that people think that people think, if you want to hear a message about Jesus, then you need to go. I don't know which, which way it is, but it's not here. It's it's out there or out there. It's one of the other, one of the other roads.
1: But if you want to hear about the law, and if you want to hear about the Sabbath, and if you want to hear about doctrine, we gotcha.
0: Why are we not both? Isn't that what this is? The blend of both, the harmonious blend of both.
1: We were speaking about this on the way here in the car. That when we become so focused on doctrine, which I cannot emphasize enough, has its place.
0: All we become is an argumentative people. Have you realized? I don't know if you've noticed. We're not the only Christian church out there. And when you think of evangelicals and when you think of all the others, I never, ever see my Pentecostal friends arguing with one another online. I never see them taking off their dirty laundry and hanging it up for everyone to see.
1: You know why? Because they deal with those things in-house and they preach the gospel to the people. What happened? Why is it that our, our Adventist message is just controversy now? Maybe we're missing a very important piece
0: And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the pendulum needs to swing the whole way to the other side and just
1: Jesus and just love and just acceptance. They'll leave us quick as if we only did doctrine. But we cannot, as a church, expect to go anywhere without the gospel. We cannot. We'll be
0: stuck here having Advent, Hope, Sabbath schools for decades, God forbid. This is
1: nice, amen? But let's end it though. Right? Let's let's, let's go somewhere else. Ellen White says that when speaking about the forehead, and I'm wrapping up genuinely, when speaking
0: about the forehead and the hand, that it references our mind and our actions where we can receive the mark of the beast. And in Revelation chapter seven, when it talks about the seal of God or the mark of God, it's the same word, that it's just the forehead. It's just the mind. In other words, it's just, she says that it's synonymous with the heart. I think she got it. That the third angel's message is not so much about where you are. It's not so much about which day. It's about this. It's about if God is truly living in you. And if God is truly living in you, then he will lead you to a place of obedience. That's why we have the word. Amen. That's why we have our church to administer the word. To lead those that are desperately seeking for Jesus that want him into the truth. This is why I think David, in the 51st Psalm, said to the Lord in verse 10, Lord, after he is repentant, now that he's found God again, are you with me? Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. This is why the prophet Ezekiel then looked and said that God can take a heart of stone. Are you with me? He can take a heart of stone and replace it, change it, recreate it into a heart of flesh. A heart that can worship. But Ezekiel didn't just say a heart that would worship and a a heart that would love God. But a heart that would keep his commandments, that would follow his statutes. He got the whole thing. Create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Take from us this stony
1: heart and give us a heart of flesh. This is why Paul said to the Hebrews. That God with his finger would write the law where? On our hearts. The law on our hearts. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Why? They shall what?
0: Don't you want that? Don't you want that? I want nothing more than that, to see God. Blessed are the what? The the pure in heart. In other words, blessed are the ones whom the gospel is in them.
1: Blessed are the ones whom the word, call them back, who the word is living through.
0: Are you with me? Those are the ones that will see God. Not just in the distance and then. Those are the ones that will see him and will always see him. That can be your experience. That can genuinely be. I don't care who you are, where you've come from, what you've done. Your life can be one that gives glory to him. When he calls you out of Babylon, you won't just leave the place, you'll leave the sin. You can have victory over those things. And in the very last moments of earth's history, you can stand. Though everyone else bows the knee to the image of the beast, you can stand faithfully, knowing that you know God and that you're going to see him. I hope you can make that decision today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, that you would reignite in our hearts a desire to spread the three angels' messages. To spread this last day message of love, mercy, and coming judgment. We pray, Lord, that our lives would be witnesses, just as you said in the 24th chapter of Matthew. That the gospel would go to the whole world as a witness that only then the end would come. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take the beautiful, harmonious doctrine that you have blessed us with and also to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, the everlasting gospel that you have blessed us with and to package them as you would package them, that they may be seen, lived in our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.